this is Take Notes with Jen Rafferty, where we move music education in new directions. I'm your host, Jen Rafferty, a music educator, author, and huge social science nerd. And I am so excited to go on this journey with you as we highlight the intersection between music education and the social sciences. Hello, and welcome back to Take Notes. My guest today is this month's Take Notes teacher feature, Josh Emanuel. I met Josh at the National Association for Music Education Eastern Division Conference, and I completely nerded out about his work with his PhD, primarily about transferring ideas from the world of design and innovation to music education and songwriting. Josh's work also focuses on the use of technology in the music education classroom as a tool to allow students to create and experience their own music. And he currently teaches middle school and general and instrumental music at Nanuet Public Schools in Nanuet, New York. Josh also got his master's degree in music tech. And get this. My master's thesis was on performing with other musicians in real time over the internet and the potential educational benefits and challenges of doing so. Little did I know in 2012 how relevant that would end up being. The biggest takeaway being that unless you've got really, really good internet, you can't. So Josh was probably one of the few music educators that were really prepared at the beginning of this pandemic. And I wanted to know what sparked Josh's curiosity to pursue his PhD. When I started at Nanuet, this is my seventh year, um, around the time I started, I went to a conference at NYU called the Impact Conference. And the things that they were doing there were exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I learned about computer programming with Scratch. I learned about uh, using the Makey Makey. I learned a little bit about Ableton and using a digital audio workstation in the classroom. And these were all the things that I wanted to do and some things I was doing. And I was like, this, this is where I need to be. I wanted to pursue my PhD. Um, it was something I always wanted to do. And after attending that conference two years in a row, I said, this is, this is the place. So I started my coursework at NYU. I just finished my coursework this earlier today. I submitted my final, final paper. So I'm done with my coursework and I get to enjoy the thrills of candidacy and dissertation writing starting in the fall. I don't know about you, but I am legitimately excited to read that dissertation. And I'm also really excited to hear about the transfer of these skills. And that's really what this podcast is about, is how things outside of music education can transfer into what we do in the music education classroom. So I asked Josh about why technology, why innovation, why design? I've always Oh, I don't even know if I've always been this way, but I, I like to think if I didn't go into music, I'd end up in engineering, but I didn't have any of those real opportunities in school. But I started, as I just started playing around with these kinds of things um, in grad school, playing with coding, learning about how to do programming, I found myself just really drawn to it almost as like a puzzle. And it was just really entertaining and fun and then being able to make music with it was just unbelievable and some of the most fulfilling musical moments that I've had were through using tech and music but also collaborating with other people and I think looking for ways to 
give that experience to my students was really the motivation for me starting to look at different ways of doing things. I brought, when I first started teaching middle school, I brought in the things that I had done uh, the year before to kind of show this is what's possible. And it got some of the kids really excited. And that was my motivation. And then as far as like design, I started to get really interested in the maker movement. And I, I wanted to dive into that more. And as I started thinking about it and reading a little bit about it, I saw that this is exactly what we do in music education. Like it, the idea of learning how to do something by working with somebody else, um, kind of teaching yourself how to do it, which that part is a little different than traditional music education. But when you talk to somebody who taught themselves how to play guitar or how they taught themselves to do music tech it, or how to be a DJ, it's that same kind of mentality. And those are some of the most successful musicians that are performing. So when I started to make those connections, I was realizing that there, there was something important here that was missing in music education, that there were so many similarities between being a maker and being a musician. And I was able to go to one uh, maker fair in New York City. And there were some musicians there who were making instruments. And I thought that is just so cool and so fun. I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to bring that into my classroom. I want my my students to be able to do that. And I think design thinking was a way for me to kind of start to dip my feet into the water. A lot of my work right now is the parallels between design thinking and songwriting. So a quick time out here for a second. Just to clarify, design thinking and the maker movement aligned with the philosophy of DIY, do it yourself, and learning through discovery. Basically, just figuring it out by yourself. And this is a really messy process, which anyone who's ever tried a DIY project from Pinterest can fully understand. However, in education, we are taught about how our students should be learning by doing. Now, if we really unpack that phrase, doing can easily be synonymous with engagement. And while engagement in and of itself is important and is great, it is not the same as learning through discovery. I like a good analogy, so I want to think about this as engagement is to doing as construction is to discovery. And of course, the constructivist learning theories certainly verify this value. So in the classroom, in order to foster learning by discovery, the role of the teacher needs to shift to facilitator as the students actively discover new skills, concepts, and approaches to their own learning. When I started to really focus in on design, I took a course on designing games for learning and thinking, all right, I'll be able to like come out of that with a couple games maybe that I can use in the classroom to teach whatever concept. Um, and a lot of the course was focused on this one specific design process that they use in creating games. And as we're learning about and going through this process, that's where I'm like, this is exactly what I'm teaching in songwriting, but more eloquently put, more, more structured. And 
I started thinking if I start to structure my curriculum in a similar way, maybe that will have a better result and maybe the students will gain more from it. That was when I started to kind of equate these different terms that are used in design with terms that we use in songwriting, for, for instance. And some of these design terms include research, planning, experimenting, play, and revise, and with a big emphasis on the part of the process where you play and just try things out. And within that space, there isn't necessarily an end goal per se. It's just a safe place where there's no consequence in just seeing what happens because it isn't about getting it right. I mean, think about when you were younger and playing in kindergarten with balls and blocks in the kitchen center, or if you were me, always in the dress-up area. I mean, that's how we engaged with the world. We stop playing as we get older, and we unfortunately cut off some of our much-needed imagination to create new things. So specifically with songwriting, how can we encourage play within this greater design process? When we put that into a design approach, then it's, all right, we need to, we have the difference between playing as a child and playing as part of a process is that with a process, you have an end goal, but that part of it is, all right, what are some of the different things we could do that may or may not get us to that end goal? And let's just tease these things out, experiment with it and see what happens And there might be more than one right answer or there might be no right answers. And then similarly with um, songwriting, it's we have an idea of maybe the emotion that we want to create. Let's just try different sounds, try different lyrics, different instruments, different melodies, harmonies, rhythms. And again, there may be more than one right answer or there may be no right answers. And then you backtrack and you rethink, all right, maybe they didn't plan things out the way that it needs to be done. Let me try again. Let me rework my plan, maybe even take a further step back. Let me do some more research. Think about what other things do the same thing that I want to do, but that I want to do differently. So in a place like the arts, we can allow the space for imagination if we do it right. It could also be a place where students unlearn imagination too, and we all know what those places look like. So this whole idea is about fostering imagination and creativity through a proven process of design. This is huge. And sidebar here, I'm not saying that we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is important for me to say here because oftentimes when we start talking about these things, there comes this idea of this dichotomy of either do it this way or this way. I want to be clear that this is just one way of how we can incorporate creativity and imagination through a process of design within our music classrooms whenever we can as part of the offerings that we provide for our students for a well-rounded, high-quality music education. So Josh created a songwriting model based in the design process, which has seven stages. Imagine, plan, improvise, write, listen, revise, and reflect. And this is not meant to be like a one-size-fits-all. Like, this is the way to write songs. I don't come at this as a songwriter. So this process isn't 
really about songwriting. It's a creative process that is applied to songwriting. And if you have other ideas about things you want to do that's part of the creative or imaginative process, you can apply this format to those ideas. It's also really relevant to the performance process. And it'd be interesting to figure out how students can use this model while they're preparing for a performance. So I asked Josh to break it down. The first thing to do is just think what what's the end goal? And this is a little bit of like that backwards by design, thinking what figuring out what's the problem that we want to solve and what would it look like when we solve it? So that would be the engineering uh, version of this. But in music, it's what do we want the listener to feel? What's what's our end goal with our song? What do we want to communicate through our song? Then students uh, go into the planning stage, which is analogous to the research phase. And they find songs that make them feel the way they want their listeners to feel when they write their finish their song. So if they want their listeners to feel happy, they go find songs that make them feel happy. And then they break it apart and they figure out, all right, what's the form? What's the instrumentation? Uh, what's the song about? What are the, uh, what's the rhyme scheme? And they break down those different elements and start to pick out what they could borrow for their own song. So uh, like the form. All right. So verse, chorus, form. I like that this happy song uses is, is I like it's fast. It's got a lot of energy. So I want I want my song to be fast and have a lot of energy. So what's interesting about this process here is that the kids aren't just expected to go write a song. That's an unrealistic expectation for a lot of kids who aren't used to writing songs. So this provides a framework that is really important regarding structure, and it gets them actively listening to the songs that they already like and making comparisons about what they listen to and what they're going to write in the future. The next stage, which is uh, uh, improvising, and they can get onto the computer and start playing around with GarageBand or Soundtrap or Ableton and just playing with sounds. This is that play stage where they just just see what there is, see what's possible. And they start to play around with lyrics. Um, they start to throw some things together. And then they go into the writing phase where they start to actually put their ideas in the DAW, in the, in the software. They start to record themselves playing instruments if they have an instrument or uh, if they play a, an acoustic physical instrument and they start to write down their lyrics. Then they go, they listen to what they've got. And this is constantly shifting between the writing and the listening phase there as they're writing, they're listening and it's this very fluid thing. And then they get other students to give them feedback. They have to share what they've got so far with other students in the class who provide feedback. And then in the revise phase, students have to decide, all right, I've got this feedback now. What do I do with this feedback? Then they go back to writing and listening and revising again. And then they're kind of in this cycle, this iterative par portion of the process, which is characteristic of all creative processes and until they get to a point where they feel satisfied. Josh also emphasized that consistent reflection is inherent in all stages of this process. Asking students to reflect on their own learning is important in every part of the learning process, regardless of the content. 
So if you're listening and are thinking to yourself, well, this all sounds great, Jen, but how do I start? I'm not a songwriter, and how could I possibly teach this, particularly in my ensembles when we have concerts to rehearse for? So here's the thing. Often as teachers, we don't teach the things that we are not comfortable with. So the good news is, we don't stop learning once we become teachers. Our insecurities about our abilities is just not a good enough reason to not teach something as important as songwriting or composing or even improvising. These skills can literally be life-changing for some students. And that, to me, is way more important than staying in my comfort zone. So here are some baby steps for you to get started. One of the first composition projects that I do in middle school is just or with this same group is an ABA form, right? Eight measures, eight measures, and eight measures, right? And they can use loops. They can do whatever they want, but I just need to hear two distinct sounding sections. And the first one has to repeat at the end. And it can be any kinds of sounds that they want. With lyric writing, start with four lines, Start with uh, a pre-existing song and take out some of the words and make a Mad Libs out of it. Come up with a, a specific rhyme scheme. I sometimes have students add a verse to a song, but they have to follow the same structure, the same rhythm, the same rhyme scheme, the same length. I've heard other people, a really great sounding lyric project that I've heard multiple times is adding new verses to Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. And I mean, you could write like a whole nother version of that song for the last year and pick, pick and along those lines, pick a topic that is meaningful. Pick something that you enjoy talking about. Then the words will just kind of come to you a little bit. And uh, there, there are lots of different ways that you can get started. You can start with that really strict uh, structure or you can just start spitting out words on a page freeform. And then go back and edit those and create more structure out of it. But I think the most important thing is to actually do do the thing. You're going to discover how to do this just like the students are. And this is that learning by discovering, learning by doing that we were talking about before. But I don't think it's right to ask students to do something that we haven't done ourselves. Right. So to ask students to start writing music when we've never experienced it just doesn't doesn't make sense. How would you know how to how to guide them through that process if you've never gone through it. And therein lies the irony for me. We ask our students to do new things every day because this is how they learn. So I look at this idea as a new venture. It is an opportunity for us as teachers. A few years ago, songwriting was way out of my wheelhouse. I thought composing was for the old white men who were boldly displayed on the walls of my middle school general music room. And the weird thing is that despite having two degrees in music education, that is still where my brain goes whenever I hear the word composer. But anyway, I knew that songwriting was something my students wanted to learn, and I understood that my role as their teacher was to serve the students of my community. So I did every assignment right along with them, sharing with them my insecurities and being vulnerable about my own learning process, but we were able to do it together and hold each other accountable because it couldn't be up to me to deny them the opportunity to write music simply because it made me uncomfortable. So I wrote the songs. I did the thing. And to be honest with you, I haven't stopped writing. 
And as far as feeling pressed for time when we're up against concert dates, Josh had this to say. Our, our job is not to put on a concert. Our job is to teach kids music. And that's more than just playing their instrument. It's more than learning music that's already been written. It's creating something new. It's uh, allowing students or providing students the tools to figure out how to express their own voices. And it will result in better concerts. And it doesn't have to take the whole class period. Make it a, a 10 minute do now activity. Build it as part of the routine. And once it becomes part of the routine, the students will get better at it. You'll get better at it. And it will just flow into part of your rehearsal as part of your rehearsal and play the things that kids compose. And I have to be honest with you. Throughout this interview, every time Josh said the word composing or composer, something physically happened to me. Like there was this subtle but noticeable tightening in my chest. And this visceral reaction to this word was just so interesting to me that I had to share it with him and we just had to talk it out. I think for some of us, well, at least for me, that word takes me back to that middle school general music classroom. And it just doesn't seem like something that I can do. It serves as an obstacle that just exists in my brain. And it just has something to do with that word. It does have this very, your very Western male dominated connotation to it. And I think you're right. I think we need to have another way of phrasing it, but maybe only until it's done. And then bring it back at the end and be like, so this thing that you just wrote, that's a composition. You're a composer now. And I think students don't always realize that once they write music, that they are composing. So I think you're right. It can be a really intimidating term at the onset. I think once they do it and then reflect back and be like, oh, that wasn't that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. That wasn't so scary. So I think it's important to still use the word, but kind of. I don't want to say reclaim it because it's not entirely what's happening, but re reframe it. Yes, reframe the word composition, composer and composing. I like that. And I don't have that visceral reaction to it anymore. And of course, I ended the interview by asking Josh, what is your dream for the future of music education? I think we still do need to keep some parts of traditional music education. Like we, we can't throw out the ensemble. Like we still need that. But like we've been talking about, it needs to, it needs to broaden. We need to open up what we think of as music education and embrace creative music writing, creative music making as we now call it. Uh, it needs to embrace all forms of music. It needs to embrace music from all kinds of people, including the students. And I, I think we're starting to see some of the barriers open up a little bit, but it, there's there's still a long way to go. Yeah, there is a long way to go, but we're on a journey and there is no final destination. So I love having these conversations with my guests and with everyone I get to talk to about Take Notes because this is how we grow as professionals. If you've enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more about Josh and his work, go ahead and check out his website at joshemmanuel.com. And he is also on Twitter at Josh Emanuel. 
Both links are posted in the podcast notes. Until next time, this is Jen Rafferty. Have a wonderful day. This podcast was brought to you by Jen Rafferty Music, cover art by Molly Reagan and Good Neighbor Art, and music by John Kiefner. 